If y'all don't mind, I'd rather use this and stand down here. Uh, we'll have to raise it a little bit. Uh, one thing is, I'm sure if that's Scott's pulpit, it's too short for me. <laughs> Part of that's because Scott has better vision. Okay, I've got a noise problem here. It's what? Oh, it's hit touching my beard? Okay, we'll move it a little bit. Okay. And uh, so this morning, I just want to tell you what a joy it is to, to be with you this morning. Uh, I was thinking about when Scott introduces me, he usually tells about how he met me and that we, he always mentions that we met at Pete's, and that's true. And he says that when I came in, he thought... Well, what could that old guy with that big southern accent help me with starting a church? And I got to thinking about that. I was 52 uh, when we met 12, uh, 11 years ago. And I'm trying to think, I bet 52 doesn't sound so old to Scott now. <laughs> uh, but we met a little over 11 years ago, and uh, he was the... Uh, I'm still a seminary student and still a youth pastor, and uh, he had met with me and said he wanted to start a, a church in this area, and we met and worked, and uh, literally we met once a week for almost two years, and, uh, and on October the 10th in 2010, we launched Rock Bible Church, not in this location, but we launched it and got it going, and oh, what a journey it's been, and uh, I am just so thankful whenever I come over here to, to see what Rock Bible Church has grown into, and I keep praying for what God will grow this church into. So, so that is, is the prayer that, that I have for y'all every week as I pray for the churches in our association, and we just look for the great things that this church is going to do. And I want us to take a moment before we start this morning and pray for the people, all of the ones that are in Mexico. I hear one has broken an ankle. That's a, a bad way to start his trip. But uh, I pray that God will keep everyone safe. So let's bow together and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the people who have willingly given of their time. I'm sure some of them have taken vacation time to go to Mexico to not only do something physical, but to let people know your love for them. Lord, our, our mission is to, to help others and let them know why, because we want them to know that Jesus loves them and gave his life on Calvary Cross. So we pray for all of those who went, all of those who have loved ones who are gone and are having to fill in in roles in their families while they're gone, that you'd watch over them and you'd bring them back safely. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let me mention one other thing, since a lot of you don't know me. Uh, I wear this little cross. It has nothing to do with my position or anything. Uh, in fact, a good many years ago, uh, 
we were in Arizona and in Sedona. We go to Sedona every year kind of for a personal time for Becky and I. And this is my wife, Becky, by the way. And we, we go every year there. And, oh, it's probably been over 10 years ago that I saw this cross, and it just caught my attention. And uh, I checked to see what the artist meant by it because I didn't want it to be something weird that I shouldn't have. And then I was so touched by what it meant. And um, this circle in the center, um, the, the artist that does these is a sculptor. He's not a, he doesn't usually make uh, necklaces or things like this. He usually makes big sculptures. And he goes all over the world and he goes to look at petroglyphs and other cave drawings and all those kinds of things. And he then makes sculptures out of them. And he said in every single culture that he had been in and looked at their early writings and cave drawings and things, petroglyphs, things like that, that he had found this symbol. And he said that uh, he found it, and like in some, in the Hopi Indians, it's, it's considered the journey of a man to go through life like this. But he said every culture had this symbol. And said he got to thinking about it, and he wanted to place it on the cross to say that Jesus died for people everywhere on earth. And I actually called this my Psalms 24 cross. And the reason I call it that is because we're going to look at Psalms 24 today. It's what it says about God. And the reason I wear it every day, though, I didn't buy it thinking I'd wear it every day. But the reason I wear it every day is it is a rare day in my life that somebody doesn't ask me what this means. And I get to tell them that it means that Jesus loves people from every place on earth and gave his life for them. And, you know, it's so much easier when someone asks you. So it really helps me in that respect. So this morning, I want us to look at Psalms 24. When we think of Psalms 20, we almost immediately think of 23, don't we? Uh, we think of the Lord as my shepherd. But the 24th Psalm, can we put it up there? The 24th Psalm, I, I want us to, re okay, just in case you need a Bible, that's right, or a, a thing to fill out. I'm not used to the routine here. So <laughs> though I'm very used to this building, even though it wasn't Rock Bible Church, I've been interim in this building twice, the interim pastor. So the building I'm very familiar with, and boy, it looks a lot better than it used to. To look, let me tell you that. Thank you for all the work y'all have done on the building, and especially the one out back. Uh, I remember the one out back. Now, y'all may not know this, but that one out back where the children are used to. The only way to turn the lights on was to go to the uh, electrical box and throw the levers that way. You didn't have the individual lights in the rooms; didn't do anything. You had to go in and turn them on. That way, so it's uh, y'all have made a lot of great progress on this. The twenty-fourth Psalm is a Psalm of David, and it says, "The earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it, the world and all who live in it. For He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend unto the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place?" The one who has clean hands 
and a pure heart. Who does not understand, who does not trust idols or swear falsely by a God. They will receive a blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your faith, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The King of glory is the Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. May God bless the reading of his word. This psalm is a psalm of David, the king who would become the great King David history of the nation of Israel, the nation of the Hebrew people. Uh, Let's go back to the very first part of the psalm, please. And as he wrote this, this is one of his psalms that he wrote in a time of of uplifting and and praise in his life. So many of his psalms he he wrote when he was fleeing for his life and, and everything in his life was going wrong and King Saul was trying to kill him. And I tell you, if you read the psalms straight through, you're likely to get depressed. But there are a few of the psalms of David that are so uplifting. And this is one of those that has such a great message to it. Let's look there at the very first verse that says, the earth is the Lord's and everything that's in it. The world and all who live in it. Now, most all of us have been taught that. We, We know that God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that Jesus came and died from people everywhere, that he gave his life for anyone who lives on this earth. We've been taught that. We believe that. But there are two kinds of belief. There's belief like you believe that George Washington was president. I mean, I bet there's nobody in here who thinks George Washington didn't exist. You believe that. You know it's true. But George Washington is just somebody in your past. He's somebody you studied about in a history book. You don't think George Washington still is the leader of America. In fact, you know he's not. Now, when we look at that, that's not how we know the earth is the Lord's. And that's not how we know that he is the God of all people who live on this earth. It is not how we know that not only is he the God, he provided Jesus to die on the cross for people everywhere who speak every tongue. And even for those who worship other gods, he gave Jesus' life if they would come to him. And we don't know that like we knew about George Washington We're supposed to know that to know that it continues to be the truth. It's not just something that 
there was a time when the earth was the Lord's and everything in it, but that he is truly God and that is truly how things are. Now, I want to use one word here that's a kind of a word we use so much in, when, when I was studying philosophy, and that is the word pragmatic. That means how do you do it in practice, sort of. So here comes the question. In your everyday life, is this true pragmatically? Do you actually live your life like the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it? Do you live your life like all the people were created by God? Do you live your life where you think all who live on this planet, God gave his son's life for? And so many of us, we really don't. When I was a teenager... I heard this evangelist speak. I won't ever forget him. Uh, we don't have many meetings like this, not even in the Bible Belt anymore, where the communities get together in the football field and they have an evangelist come and everything. That that's of days gone by. But and I don't know if that's good or bad. But, that doesn't but this guy had on a purple leisure suit and white shoes. And in a day where only hippies had long hair, he had enough white flowing hair, gray flowing hair. I mean, I just never seen anything quite look like him. And I, I thought he was ridiculous looking. In fact, I think I punched my friend and said, he looks like an Easter egg. <laughs> well, I remember what he looks like, but I also remember to this day a question he asked. He said, so many of you sitting here say you're Christians. I want to ask you, if it became against the law to be a Christian, other than the fact that you say you are, would there be enough evidence to convict you in a court of law? That's a really important question to kind of think about. Does Jesus affect my life enough every day? That there is evidence that I am a follower of him. And to put it in, the, in, the, in these terms, do I live like this earth belongs to God? Now, I don't want to get political here, but God told, told Adam to go out and name all the animals and to take care of this planet. Do we live like we are supposed to be taking care as his children of the planet and the people on it? Do we believe that? Jesus told us we were to, to feed the hungry, to take care of the widows, to visit in prison. In fact, he said that on judgment day, there's going to be people who say, but, but I called on your name. And he's going to say, where were you when I was in prison? Where were you when I was sick? Where were you when I was hungry? Do we live like the world and all that's in it belongs to God? So much so that he loved it so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, for the whole earth. 
and for every person on it. So, so that's where I want us to, to look at this as we start to, to deal with what, what David says here. Look at, at verse 3. He asks a question in verse 3 that we may not at first understand. It says, who may ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Now, we've got to understand David grew up in a time of constant war. Probably someone who grew up and fought in World War II, maybe even Korea or Vietnam would more easily understand this passage. I was a young pastor and had this this guy who was about the age I am now, and he had a big handlebar mustache, and he wore big red suspenders, and he was about my size, and he was ex-military. I mean, he was retired military. And when he talked about David, he was teaching a Bible study on Sunday night for me. And some of the, my members came and said, you need to talk to Ben. I said, why? He said, because he talks about David just killing this guy and just doing this. And he said, I said, oh, that's just a soldier in him. And I said, David was a soldier. And they said, well, we don't like that. Now, we may not like it. But what David is talking about in this question about who will go up to the mountain of the Lord with him He's talking about who's going to share victory with Jesus. Who's going to share victory with God. That life is a battle. And if you want to stand on the high ground with God, because that is always where the battle is won, is from the high ground. If you want to ascend to the mountain of the Lord, to the place of victory with Jesus, as we would put it today, what do you have to do? And that's such an important question, isn't it? Because we want to share in the victory that Jesus won on the cross. We want to live a victorious life. We don't want to be held backwards by our sins and by our own ignorance. And so we have here this question being asked of us. How do you do that? And then he answers it so beautifully in verse 4. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. He who has pure hand, pure, clean hands and a pure heart. Now, I promise you, David's not talking about how good your hands look. I know that we like to say cleanliness is next to godliness. Mothers and grandmothers especially like to say that, it seemed to me. But that's not what he's talking about by clean hands. He's talking about what we put our hands into. He's talking about whether our hands are in the kinds of things that God approves of. In fact, I like to put it this way. Because we look at it back from the time, our perspective is from Jesus' perspective. And it's a real simple question of whether you have clean hands. Have you got your hands into anything that Jesus wouldn't have his into? And see, that doesn't mean at church. That means at work. That means in your finances. That means in your 
free time. That means when you go on vacation. Uh, I just can't think of anything that's more appalling than the than the slogan that's more ungodly than the slogan of Vegas, that what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I want to tell you, if you go to Vegas, Jesus goes there with you. And if you go there, you better not put your hands in anything Jesus wouldn't because he is there with you if you're a Christian. And, and I don't want to pick on going to Vegas. I didn't mean that. I want to just use for an example. Uh, I have pastor friends that go to Vegas on vacation, and they don't put their hands in the wrong things, I hope. And uh, I don't happen to like Vegas, so it's easy for me to pick on it. But I, it's, it's just true of any part of life. We can't set aside parts of our lives and say, that's a part that's not for God. Because Jesus lives in your heart. He goes to every place with you. Do you have your hands in things that God wouldn't? Now, what about this statement of a pure heart? We need to kind of understand the Hebrew mind just a little bit to understand what a pure heart is. We tell people we love them with all our heart. Do you know how David would have probably told his wife that he loved her that much? he would have probably said, I love you from my bowels. Now, we wouldn't say things like that. That wouldn't be very loving. But the heart of emotion was your innards, okay? And in our language, we have moved that to be your heart. You know, your heart doesn't look anything like a valentine anyway. Your heart in the Hebrew mind was the seat of your the seed of why you did things. And so if you had a pure heart, your motives were pure. What David is really saying is, if you want to have victory for Jesus, victory with God, you've got to keep your hands clean and you've got to do it for the right reason. You've got to do it because you're living for God. And... And, and our motives are so important to Jesus and to the Lord. Let me explain why it's so important. We go through much of our lives thinking the end justifies the means because we have, I mean, the, yeah, the end justifies the means because we have so little control, we think, over the end. So whatever we can do to achieve the goal, the goal will justify it. God doesn't look at us that way at all. Jesus has already won the victory over Satan. Jesus has already forgiven your sins on Calvary's cross, paid the price for them. Jesus has already won the victory. So the end is already there. To God, it's all about the means. It's all about the motive. It's all about how it comes from your heart. Are you doing it to glorify Him? It says He is the King of glory in this passage. Do we live to glorify Him? I have even, in fact, I've even been guilty as a pastor. Let me just go that far. 
of sometimes doing things that weren't ungodly, that weren't godly because I thought they would help us grow the church or help us achieve something at church. And that is so wrong. We are to know that God looks at the inward man. In fact, God is so much more concerned of how you think and how you live and what your heart is like when no one else is around you than when you're putting on your that mask that every person has. I'm not being critical. Every person has that mask they put on for when they're around other people. Some of us have more than one, for depends on who we're around, but everybody has that. But that's not what God's looking at. He's looking at our hearts and our motives. And so the question, who shall, who shall have victory with God? He who has hands that that's go mostly where Jesus goes and does it for the reason that we want to pour out our love to glorify Jesus and the Father. Now, If we look a little more in this passage, it says that people who do that, look at verse 5, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Savior. Now, it's interesting here. It does not have the word blessing, and I promise you it might have in some English versions, but not in the Hebrew. It is not a plural. It doesn't say you will have blessings from the Lord. It says you shall have a blessing from the Lord. And and that's a different way of thinking. Because so many people seem to have really bought in one time to this prosperity thing. that, That if we live for God, he's going to just bless us all the time with all these earthly things. That must mean that Jesus and his disciples didn't live very well for the Lord because, boy, they weren't blessed with many earthly things. Most of us are blessed with many more earthly things than Jesus and his disciples ever dreamed of. No, it means we shall receive a blessing from the Lord. It means that he will look down upon us and bless our life. He will become our God. He will, as Jesus puts it, be the light of the world. Have you ever tried to drive at night without headlights? Boy, it's a scary thing. You can't see what's in front of you. You have to go so slow. That's exactly what Jesus says we don't have to do on earth. He will light our path so that we don't run and bump into everything. He will bless our life by guiding us and by showing us the way. And what a beautiful message that is, that he blesses our lives. And not only does he bless our lives, he vindicates us. Now, in the New Testament, this is put just slightly different. It actually shows Jesus as being a lawyer in heaven and that he 
stands there and pleads our case to the Father. He says to him, this is one who I have died for. I have paid their price. I have And we are then accepted into heaven, not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. And it is a vindication, not of what we did, but of who we are as a child of God, as one who has been blessed by the Lord. This is such a beautiful passage to to kind of latch on to and understand what God is saying to us about living life as a child of the king, as one of God's children. And and we need to to see that. Now, in verse 8, he asks another question. If we could look down at verse 8. He says, who is the king of glory? Now, when we ask that, he, he's asking, who is God? Who is the creator of the world? And it's, th- this is such an interesting answer because this is not exactly how the Western mind thinks of God. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. What an unusual description of God. And yet one we should be so thankful for. Because I want to tell you, if there's anything you ought to learn, I just turned 63. And by the way, it's the first birthday I ever had where I wished I was older. But I'd give anything to be 65 and not have to pay health insurance anymore. But anyway... (laughs) I'd like to be 65 for two or three years, though. I wouldn't like to just be older. But I just turned 63 recently. And I want to tell you, if you haven't learned one thing, I always say if you hadn't learned by 40, there's something wrong with you. You know what? If you hadn't learned by 40, there's something wrong with you. If you haven't learned that everybody's weird, including you. (laughs) I had a college professor who said, God loves weirdos or he wouldn't have created so many of them. And I didn't know I was weird then, but I did discover that last four. If by 60 you have not figured out life is a battle, then either your life has been unusually blessed or you just are blind. Because life is a battle. Uh, It's a battle more for some than others. But the battle takes place on different fronts. For some, it's a battle to be honest. For some, it's a battle to be pure. For some, it's a battle to resist drugs or or alcohol that causes addictions in their life. For others, it's a battle to do what they're supposed to do. I mean, there's just battles to be the parent you need to be, the grandparent you need to be, to be the Christian you need to be. I mean... There are so many areas of life that is a battle. And again, this passage is saying, because these people were in a real battle, that God is strong and mighty in the battle they were in. And if he was strong and mighty in the battle they were in, 
He is still strong and mighty today in the battles that you and I face. That is so wonderful to know. You don't have to face life's battles by yourself. You don't have to face them just with the friends and loved ones you have gathered around you. You can face them with who? Well, the question said here, who is the king of glory? You can face the battles of this world with the king. Knowing you are a child of a king if you have asked Jesus into your heart. You know that the creator of the universe is there within you to help you face life's battles. And with that, David then goes into this praise. He says, lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Now, this idea of lifting up your heads and lifting up your gates and lifting up your ancient doors. Again, is not in our kind of thinking. But to the to the. Hebrew person that David is talking to, the Israelite that he's talking to, all of their history is sort of tied up in the temple. All of who they are is tied up in this temple. And he said, you are to lift your head up. You are to understand that the ancient doors are to be lifted up. And you need to understand that all of who you are and have ever been is to be lifted up and thanked God for so that he can come in and be the God of your life. And he asks then again in verse 10, who is the king of glory? And he makes the statement simple. The Lord Almighty, he is the king of glory. And this morning, I, I want to kind of leave us with just a few questions. I think you have a few fill-in-the-blanks there. Uh, Scott wouldn't be happy without any fill-in-the-blanks. I think I actually sent them over with just space for you to write in, but uh, someone decided we needed blanks, so we have a few. Uh, the first question, though, I want you to think about as we leave this morning. How would we live each day? If you pragmatically believe that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it, how would you live? I I want you to, to think about that, to pray about that, and say, how would I live differently if every day I started my day by making that declaration and then living like that? Would it change the way you do anything in your life? When I think about that question, the very first person that comes to my mind is my mother, who in many ways was as fine a Christian as you'd ever want to meet, and in other ways she struggled. Doesn't that make her sound like a lot of us? Okay. But my mother's biggest struggle in life was worrying 
by far her biggest struggle. I remember my uncle, my dad died when I was 19, and her brother, uh, who never married, and her became very close. And as they got much older, they, and he retired, and she took care of him for a while, and then he had to take care of her for a while. But he called me up one day and said, I do not know what to do with your mother. And I said, what's wrong? He said, she's worrying because everything's going too good. Something's bound to be about to happen. Now, the reason I share that is a lot of people are worriers because anything we can't be in control of bothers us so much, so we worry about it. If we could actually live like this, we would discover that instead of worrying, we should pray. And then we should believe that God will do something. Maybe not what we want, but believe that he will do what is best in his time. And there are many other things we could use besides worrying for an example. So the question to you is, what would be different in your life each day if you really not only believed it in your head, but acted it out in your life? The second question How clean are your hands and how pure is your heart? I used to like to preach this sermon as we got through March and April and it was tax time. One of the hardest times to keep those hands clean and those motives pure. Even though Jesus told us to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, it is hard for us. And, and and that's a silly example if it wasn't so true. But how many things are there like that? And, and we don't have the teenagers or the children in here, but there's so many things that started at a very young age to tempt you to get your hands dirty and to tempt you to do things for the wrong motive. In fact, some of the times that we get our hands dirty is not because we wanted to do it, but the motive is we're more concerned about what other people think of us than what God thinks of us. And thus we do things because of the word we use is peer pressure. I know peer pressure is real for adults as well as children. Becky, just forgive me here, but I know it's real because of Becky. And that is, anytime we went on vacation and we wanted to get in a boat or a canoe or anything, she wasn't interested at all. But when she went on a work trip one time and they were going for a day of fun, she comes back and tells me that she's been out kayaking. And I know good and well the only reason she's been out kayaking is because of peer pressure. Now, that wasn't a bad thing. In fact, I was actually happy to hear that. But peer pressure is real. How many times do we do things not even because we want to, but the motive is important. Doing what God wants is the motive we should live our life by. The third question I want to ask is, do you realize that life is a battle? Most people do. But there are people who think life is a roller coaster. 
Now, let me explain that just a minute. There are people who just seem to think, I have no control over my life. I just bounce from one thing to the other thing. And maybe this roller coaster is not, maybe a bumper car ride is more what they think life is. But it's just, you know, if I hit this, I hit that. And they react to everything. And they never are proactive about anything. That is a misunderstanding of how God has laid out our life. He has laid out our life when he created us with a purpose. And that purpose is, is going to be difficult because so many people in the world don't want us to have that purpose. Satan doesn't want us to have that purpose. And for that reason, life becomes not a roller coaster or a bumper car ride, but life becomes a battle. And in a battle, you need a leader to help you get through it. And it's so wonderful to know that Jesus is that leader for us. And that's what the last one says. We don't have to fight that battle alone if we know the King of glory. So this morning... Think on those things and pray about them. And ask yourself, could life be better if I started the day each day by reminding myself that the earth is the Lord's? Everything and everybody in it. He loved them, he died for them, and he wants me to bless them and share that love with them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for the privilege of sharing your word this morning. Thank you for these words that, that the young David wrote down and have been preserved all these hundreds and hundreds of years, even thousands of years, Lord. And that you have preserved them so that we might have them before us today. What a miracle that is, Lord that we have the words that David actually wrote down as a poem. And those words are here for us to know how he made it through the rough times of life. And David wasn't perfect, and we aren't perfect, Lord. But you are, and you are our leader. You are our king, and if we will follow you, we can have victory in Jesus. Lord, again, we pray that that would be true for all the ones in Mexico this week. And that would be true for Christians in every church and every country across the world today. In your precious name I pray. Amen.